Acts chapter 18 and verse number 22. I preach on that subject that we hear so often, Alexandria. Have you ever heard a message about Alexandria before? I haven't. Have you, Brenda? She looked at me like, I hadn't heard that one very often. <laughs> well, I hadn't either. Uh, we're going to call it alter, Alterations at Alexandria. And we'll begin in Acts chapter 18, verse number 22. Acts 18, verse number 22. And when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over all the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in scriptures, in the scriptures, he came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in the spirit. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue and when Aquila and Priscilla, these are a man and wife team that were associates of the Apostle Paul in the ministry. It says, when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him, took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Apollos was come from Alexandria, Egypt, and he had a deficient knowledge of the things of God. Now, he, he was... He was excited, he was fervent, and an eloquent speaker. He had a lot of things going for him that he learned in Alexandria. But the one thing that he was deficient in was the knowledge of the Word of God. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd bless us, help us in our study tonight to learn the things that you'd have us to know about the things in Alexandria that we might need to be aware of when it comes to our living and reading of the Bible and living out the things of God today. We pray you'd bless us. Fill us with your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Bible college in 1982, uh, I was a pretty new Christian, and uh, I heard a couple of guys around Bible college, there were four or five guys standing around talking, and they were talking about this one particular fella and, uh, in, in the group, another student, said, oh, he's, he's uh, you know, he's a King James only guy, don't you? And it's kind of like, oh, really? Kind of almost sounded like uh, a cuss word. And uh, then I realized that this must be something that I hadn't heard much about. I was a King James uh, carrier at the time, and everybody I knew preached from the King James Bible, and we carried it and held it and revered it, but I didn't know exactly what would be wrong with just sticking to it alone. And so time went on, and I began to read a little more and hear a little more preaching and, and uh, hear people bring out the deficiency of different modern versions. And so it got me thinking more. And so I read more and studied more, wrote, read books uh, concerning the KJV debate. It hadn't really started, I don't think, at that point, really strong among fundamental circles and Baptist circles. It was not... A huge debate yet, and so I kept reading and studying because I wanted to know. Uh, I want to know if I'm carrying the right Bible or not, and, 
And if there's anything wrong with those others, you know, I thought it was, at that point I thought it was kind of a matter of preference. And I preferred this one because that's what the old folks had and it seemed good enough to me. Now I began to read people like Edward Elf Hills and others who defended the text of the King James Bible and, and it got me thinking about it. And so as time went on, I, I became convinced that the King James Bible was not only a good Bible, but it was the right Bible and the only English Bible and that the other modern versions had corruptions and discrepancies in them that would cause them to be disqualified from me using that one. And so I guess in the learning that I did about the King James Bible, it, it got me to the point where I was satisfied with my knowledge, but now I think and especially in our day now, I think more people need to know about those things. And so not just satisfying my own soul, but I'd like to help others to have questions in their own mind answered as well. And so we're talking about Alexandria, Alexandria, Egypt in particular. And a lot of history concerning the Bible text finds its origin in Alexandria. And it was once the capital of that country of Egypt located on the west side of the Nile Delta on the Mediterranean Sea. It was a great, a great hustling, bustling city, a city of commerce and uh, the capital at that time of the, of the country. And it was a, it was a shipping hub for the, for the Mediterranean Sea and for that part of the world. And it was named after Alexander the Great who established it and thus the name Alexandria. And... It was known that there were a lot of Jews there and as after the Lord's crucifixion and resurrection, then it became uh, more popular. I guess some of the Jews there got saved and, and uh, adopted Christianity and some of them maybe professing, maybe some of them real. And it was a, it was a city of education. You know, they prided themselves in their libraries and their their philosophers and their, their Greek culture. And, and they, had, they had lots of philosophers and Christian thinkers and lots of different worldviews there. They saw things in, in a lot of different ways. And it kind of reminded me of, of, uh, of Mars Hill in Athens in a lot of ways because it seemed like they all loved to talk and debate. And they came up, boy, there were some really weird beliefs there and there were some... There were some worldviews that were way off base and, and there were some heresies within Christianity that arose there. And so we're looking at a place where, man, it was a hotbed. You might think, this, this is California. <laughs> Sorry, California. <clears throat> well, fast forward. We'll, we're going to think about Alexandria as the origin of a lot of... Uh, Christian talk, thinking, and Bible manuscripts. We flash forward now to the early 1500s, and the Dutch theologian and scholar Erasmus, uh, he put together, I think this was probably the first time anybody had put together a complete collection of New Testament manuscripts. Now, you've got to remember, at this time, there were no... There were no Bibles like this. The printing press hadn't come along quite yet uh, when, when most of these things were happening in the 14s and 1500s. And so most of the manuscripts they had were made out of 
papyrus and vellum and, and uh, just written down by hand. The scribes write down, uh, copy the word of God from one piece of paper to the next. And that's what the fragments consisted of, the original autographs, the original writings by the apostles themselves had, had vanished away. And, and when people talk about the original Greek today, uh, uh, don't fall for the thinking that, uh, that there are some original manuscripts from the apostles that don't exist. They've gone away. There's only copies uh, left. And so these Greek manuscripts of the New Testament uh, were collated by Erasmus. And he put together a Greek New Testament and so that the, an English Bible could be translated from the Greek because I think all they had then was probably the, uh, the, uh, the Latin version. The Catholics had pretty well put a damper on anybody uh, getting the Word of God out to people in the common neighborhoods and such. And so Erasmus put that together and then there were some others after Erasmus that like Stephanus and some of those that, that uh, collated a Greek New Testament and they just kept moving along. There's been many more put together today but not from the, uh, not from the family of manuscripts that Erasmus got them from. And so don't, don't let me bore you, but I think if you love the Bible, you want to know this, and sometimes you'll have somebody ask you, uh, why do you carry a King James Bible anyway? We ought to know. The Bible says study to show thyself approved, does it not? And the Bible does say that, that, uh, that we ought to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. And so uh, just saying, well, I carry a King James Bible because that's what our church uses. Well, I'm glad that you use one if you do. I'm glad you use one because our church uses one, but that's not the best reason. <laughs> the best reason goes much deeper for using a King James Bible. And so those Greek texts were, were numerous because that's what the general conglomerate of preachers and teachers and Christians and churches were using. They were using that text from which Erasmus gathered together. Those were known as uh, the Byzantine the Byzantine manuscripts. That's one family of manuscripts. And we're going to talk about the other family of manuscripts that came from Alexandria. But here's two of the, the famous manuscripts that the new versions of the Bible are made from. Uh, the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticus. And that almost sounds like a, a congestion you get from allergies or something, but that's, that's, what they, uh, <clears throat> that's what they're called. The two main ones that they found, Tischendorf, back in 1859, uh, went to a monastery at Mount Sinai. And in that Catholic monastery, he came up with some portions of a manuscript that had been dumped and not used, and... But he went there, Tischendorf. Now, now get this, Tischendorf went there because he wasn't satisfied that he had the Word of God, and he went on a journey to find the Word of God. And so that would affect a man's thinking. If he thinks he doesn't have it and it exists somewhere else, then that might affect what he sees when he finds these manuscripts. Well, the, uh, the Vaticanus turned up in the Vatican in Rome, and it was very similar to the Sinaiticus, which was Catholic manuscripts in the Sinai. And these two became the famous ones 
of Westcott and Hort, the ones that put collated that together, like Erasmus collated his Greek manuscripts that were found for the Antioch Byzantine manuscript family, and then Westcott and Hort, which were pretty mysterious fellows. They don't seem to be really Christian guys, but uh, <clears throat> you know they they delved into uh, to mysterious things, <laughs> spiritism and stuff that's not biblical. And so these are the kind of guys that put together those manuscripts that they found dumped in those two places, those two monasteries, or the monastery and the Vatican. <laughs> and so <clears throat> let, me, uh, let, me, let me try to illustrate it this way. There's two families of manuscripts that your King James Bible comes from. See, this is the English Bible, and this was not what the apostles wrote it in, nor was it what the uh, early church passed on down. But the New Testament was written in Greek, Old Testament in Hebrew. This, uh, this word of God we've got was translated in 1611 by the King James translators from that family of manuscripts called the Byzantine or majority text or the Textus Receptus, all those synonymous terms. Let's say that this is the family of the Byzantine manuscripts that your King James Bible comes from. There's a whole bunch of them. We're talking about thousands of them. Extant manuscripts. They exist. They've got, and a lot of them are just bits and pieces. Maybe, maybe part of a book of the Bible. Maybe part of a chapter of the Bible. But they're just little fragments. And these fragments of, the, of those Greek manuscripts are somewhere housed today in museums all over the world. And so that's where we got the King James Bible from. These Byzantine manuscripts, these Textus Receptus manuscripts, the received text, and it's called the received text because that's what the general population of Bible preachers and teachers received as the Word of God. They said, this is it. And got passed down because this was recognized as the Word of God. And we'll let this stack of books represent the manuscripts the number of manuscripts in the ones that underlie the King James Bible. But then when, when Pischendorf found, uh, found his manuscripts and Westcott and Hort put together their Vaticanus and Sinaiticus together, they had a few in comparison. These are what the modern versions of the Bible come from. Can you see one stack might be a little taller than the other? So... The King James Bible comes from the family of manuscripts, Greek manuscripts, that by far outnumber anything that the modern versions come from. You know, why would they use those then? Because they found these and they said, well, these are older than the ones the King James translators used. These are older, and since they're older, they called them older and better. You'll, you, if you read much about it, you'll see them use that phrase over and over again. Older and better. Uh, and they say these are older, and so since they appeared on the scene, these fragments of the Greek text appeared earlier on the scene than these did, they must be better. Well, is that true? First of all, just because something is older doesn't mean it's better. And did it ever occur to any of those folks that 
since these were fewer in number that maybe they didn't get, get used very much because this one is the one all the preachers and teachers and Christians and churches were using because they thought this was it. Nobody was using them. And that might explain why these survived longer because they were thrown in a dumpster somewhere and nobody used them. And somebody discovered them centuries later because these had been put on a shelf and said, man, that's not the word of God. Let's throw those things away. And so they put them in a the wastebasket and then Tischendorf finds that wastebasket and says, oh, these are older, so they must be better. And since they're older, uh, they wouldn't have been translated so many times and copied so many times and passed from generation to generation so many times. And therefore, they would be closer to the truth than this family of manuscripts because these have been handed down over and over again. Well, you know why you know why these might have gotten more ragged and recopied so many times? Because that's the one they used, the one they received as the original text. And so they wore them out faster and they'd have to cop recopy them uh, until the printing press come along. That was a big job too. Well, these two stacks of books ought to tell us something. We can call these witnesses. These manuscripts that the King James Bible is translated from, we can call them witnesses, and we can call these witnesses. Now, let's think about that just a little bit. Would, uh, would a translation from more witnesses tend to be more acceptable? than a translation from fewer witnesses. Brother Connor, when there's an accident and you go to investigate that accident, if you've got one person says, I saw it all, and you've got 10 more people over here and says, they say, I saw it all, and you interview, and these all 10 say the same thing. They say, you always saw it, here's what happened. That guy ran the stop sign and wow, got smacked. And this one person said, no, I saw it all. It was the other guy's fault. Which one would you be more likely to believe? <laughs> the 10 that agree with each other, they're eyewitnesses and they, they tell you exactly what happened. Why would anybody take the word of the one guy <laughs> standing there that, that uh, doesn't seem to agree with anybody? And it's the same way with the manuscripts that come uh, before the King James Bible. Now, there's my one illustration. The plumbers have been working in the yard out here. We've got a big leak, and they're still working on it. They had to dig a hole down to get down to the pipe to repair the PVC pipe, which is still somewhat faulty. There was a lot of muddy water out there in that puddle. This is just plain old clear water. Which one just by the looks of them, which one would you prefer to take a drink of if you had to drink one of those two? I think I would choose the clear one, wouldn't you? Now, the reason I'm using that illustration is because at Alexandria, where the, where the smaller number of manuscripts came from, Alexandria was filled with heretics. Alexandria was filled with philosophers who had who had all this esoteric knowledge, and they, they had uh, the, the knowledge that they thought nobody else could possess but them and they were so unique that they had the special knowledge that was denied to everybody else. They had heresies there that, that denied the deity of Christ. They said, he's, 
he's not deity. He's, he's the son of God, but he's not God. And you had other heresies there where, uh, where they denied that Jesus was one person. He was really two people. Well, he's not two persons. He had a human nature and he had the spiritual nature. He was God in the flesh and yet he was God, but he was not two different people. And so they had that heresy going that he was two people. And they had another heresy going that, that the, the God of the Old Testament is not the same God of the New Testament. And all kinds of junk like that. Alexandria was full of heresy. And to find a clear drink of water in Alexandria would be very, very difficult because of all the heresy involved in their translation or rather their copying of the Greek manuscripts. See, if, if, if one of those scribes had one of those weird heresies, when he's copying off the new manuscript, he can just change a little stuff and introduce his heresy right into the manuscripts. Now, at Antioch, let's get there. In Acts chapter 11, verse number 19. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. We're going to see the other family of manuscripts that was not corrupted like the Alexandrian manuscripts were from which the new modern versions come from. In Acts chapter 11, verse 19, it says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Venice, Cyprus, and Antioch. There's our word, Antioch. That's a city north of Israel a little ways. And this is where the Apostle Paul did his preaching and teaching early on. Let's read, read on in verse 20. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, and which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the, the Lord Jesus. We're preaching the right person, aren't they? And the hand of the Lord was with them. That kind of sounds like they must have been doing a good job being loyal to God. Would you agree with that? The hand of the Lord was with them. I don't see anything about the hand of the Lord being on Alexandria. Is yet the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Sounded like they were getting results from the word of God and the preaching of it. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he, when he came had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people was added to the, unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Sarsus to seek Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And disciples were, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now just off the top of my head, if we're talking about that cesspool of mishmash philosophy and Christian uh, thought down in Alexandria and this Antioch town up north where people are preaching the word of God, people are getting saved, people are being discipled and, 
and it looks like the Lord's hand of blessing is on them. I think I would rather, I'd rather believe what was going on up at Antioch. Seems to me like. You would think that texts from a missionary sending them, and this is the church that sent Paul and Barnabas out and on more than one mission trip to establish churches in Asia Minor. This church was mission-minded. They were, they were oriented around preaching. They were oriented around discipleship. They were doing the, the work of the Lord. And you'd think a church like that would probably recognize the word of God at work instead of a bunch of knobheads down here debating over which philosophy and worldview they ought to adopt. And so Paul got his teaching that he taught at Antioch directly from the Lord. Look at Galatians 1.15. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again to, unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But other of the apostles saw I none save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. Afterwards, I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. Here's a fellow who's not debating with a, with a bunch of philosophers uh, to see which, which uh, doctrines are correct. Here's a man that spent three years under the tutelage of the Lord Jesus in Arabia getting his doctrine straight from the Lord. I've got more confidence in, in Antioch than I do Alexandria. And if I'm going to take a Bible to hand and expect to hear the pure word of God, I'm a more, lot more likely to say, hey, whatever came out of Antioch's my Bible, not what came out of Alexandria. And so I think there's so many people today that have learned to listen to what some uh, guy came out of seminary was taught by his professors. His professor said, well, the older, older manuscripts, are they're, they're older and they're better, and that's why we've got the modern versions. That King James Bible, it's, it's outdated. They didn't have all the manuscripts back then when the King James was translated, and so we need a modern version, so we've got the whole thing. Funny thing is that when you read the modern versions, a lot of the Bible is left out. <laughs> Instead of finding out more, it looks like they found out less. And so the modern versions come from the line of manuscripts that came out of Antioch, Egypt. By the way, what's Egypt a picture of? World. The world, yeah. And if I were the devil and I wanted to mess up the word of God and mess up Christians, you know what I'd do? I would rewrite this thing to get it to say all kinds of crazy stuff. If I was the devil, I think that's what he did. <laughs> Hello? Antioch? Muddy. I mean, I'm sorry. Alexandria, muddy. Antioch. They both start with A. <laughs> Antioch, pure. The preserved word of God. You're right. In Psalm chapter 12, 
The psalmist said, the Lord shall preserve his word from this generation forever. I don't, I don't think that Christians had to wait a couple thousand years for Tischendorf to find those Alexandrian manuscripts before the world had the word of God. Let me give you five reasons. <clears throat> five reasons to use the King James Version of the Bible. And I realize, you know, I'm singing to the choir, preaching to the choir. Uh, but there's folks who might be watching on YouTube or live stream that really don't know why we use the King James Bible. And so we can be of help, be of help to those who have not heard because so many people have heard, well, the seminary professor said thus, and so he says the modern versions are better. Well, most of them are very biased, and they're going to teach what their professor taught them. And so most of them, if you talk to them about the King James Bible, they, they cut you off. They don't even want to hear about it because they've already discounted it in their mind, and so they're not willing to do an honest investigation because they're biased already. Why should we use the King James Bible? Number one, for theological reasons. <coughs> the theological bias of the translators of the modern versions has crept in. Uh, you'll remember uh, this debate goes way back when the modern version uh, advent first started. The RSV, Revised Standard Version, uh, just this is one example in, uh, in Isaiah 7.14. This is what the modern version of the revised standard says. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a young woman shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. A young woman? Wait, what does the King James Bible say? A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Look, there's all kinds of liberals behind the, uh, the revised version and they, many of them refuse to believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. They discount miracles and they discount the virgin birth. And so do you see how a bias, if one of those professors, one of those translators has already got it in his head, there ain't no such thing as a virgin birth. So when he translates that, it is possible to translate that according to the language. It is possible to translate a young woman a virgin would be a young woman, but that's not what the context says, and that's not what was prophesied before, that a virgin would conceive. And so we see just one example uh, of why theology, what we believe, our doctrine matters, and it's coming largely from which version of the Bible we use. I wouldn't want to touch a revised version with a 10-foot pole. And then there's number two, textual reasons. Uh, there's so many people that don't understand the difference between the Alexandrian, the Alexandrian manuscripts and the Antioch Byzantine manuscripts, and their versions are translated from them. Most, the average Christian today, they may know that the Bible was translated, the New Testament was translated from the Greek, and that's the one where the biggest battleground is, is in the New Testament. Uh, the Masoretic text of the Old Testament, uh, it's more widely accepted by everybody, but the New Testament uh, is a battleground of which manuscripts to use. And most people just accept that, well, a modern version is updated and it's easier to read. Well, you know what? I'm going gonna, 
I'm going to agree with the easier to read. But do you want something that's easier to read, or do you want the very words of God? <laughs> I mean, if you want something easy to read, get a comic book. I mean, it's really easy to read. But is it the word of God? The King James Bible is a... Well, let me hold that thought just for a minute, and then I'll get to it. So, the woman in, taken in adultery in uh, John chapter 7, uh, John seven fifty three through, I'm sorry, John seven fifty three through 8, verse 11, in most of the, the newer versions, it's either left out or it's bracketed with a footnote that says this is not in the oldest and best manuscripts. So that's, most people reading, the average Christian that had never heard anything like this, they would think, well, if that's not in the oldest and best manuscripts, it's probably not really part of the Bible. And so when they start footnoting and bracketing things in the modern versions, that's a clue that they didn't believe that was the Bible and most of the people reading it, they didn't want them to believe it was the Bible either. There's philosophical reasons. And this is the one I almost got into a minute ago. The, uh, the King James Bible was translated by what is called formal equivalence. In other words, they take the, the Greek language, the Greek words, and find the English words that best fit those Greek words and translate that. Now, other versions like the NIV and other modern versions, many of them use what they call dynamic equivalence. Instead of translating the words from Greek to English, they phrase together a whole idiom or a, or a sentence or a thought, and they say, the ones translating it say, well, this is what that really means, and so they just change the whole thing. It's not a word-for-word -word translation. And so then the translator becomes the interpreter. Do you see where the danger is there? We, are, we believe in the priesthood of the believer. We believe that I have and you have as Christians the privilege to go before the Lord and look at his word and ask him to give us guidance and we can come to our own conclusions about what it says. When you've got a dynamic equivalence Bible like the NIV, you're allowing the translator or the, the translator to tell you what that really said when that's not what the words of God said in the first place at all. Now there's cultural reasons too. Uh, there's a standard this is what our great-great-grandparents grew up with and our great-grandparents and our grandparents and mom and dad grew up with the King James Bible and everybody that was memorizing scripture would memorize from the King James Bible. And so when you heard somebody quote something, a Bible verse, you recognized it. You know exactly where it came from. And now with a gazillion different, and there's probably a gazillion, however many that is, Modern versions, if everybody's memorizing scripture out of a different version, who would ever recognize it anyway? Uh, if you ever watch a TV preacher, or maybe you visited a church where they don't use the King James Bible, and the preacher announces his text, and he starts reading, and you look in your Bible, and you say, man, I don't see that. That's not what that says at all. Well, there's no uniformity. And so... What we had from 1611 up until recent years, we had a uniform adherence to the same version of Scripture that kept us united together. 
as Americans, we have one constitution. And nobody, to my knowledge, I don't know of anybody that's suggesting we throw out the language of the constitution and rewrite the whole thing. I mean, I'm sure there's some liberals that would like to do that. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, we can, we're smart enough to read the constitution and understand the words there. And so something being easier to read is not a good reason to have a new version. And then practical reasons for using the King James. Now we come to the these and thous and yees and you. Why don't we get rid of those out of the Bible? And there's, there's some that would like to update the Textus Receptus-based King James Bible and, and get rid of the these and thous. Because after all, those are hard to understand. <laughs> <laughs> the T words, thee, thou, thine, singular. The Y words, ye, you, and if you were from Misery County, yorn, <laughs> not in the King James. <laughs> and so that's plural. If I, in the new, new versions, if somebody was listening to this on audio recording and they couldn't see me, if I point right here and say, you are the salt of the earth, well, how would that person listening know if that's singular or plural, you? Because modern versions use you instead of ye for the second person plural. But on the other hand, what if I say ye? are the salt of the earth. Now I'm not just in singular, I'm plural. And the King James Bible makes it clear when it uses ye, he's talking plural. And if he's talking thee, or thou, thou being the nominative case you use for a subject, and, and uh, thou and thee and thine, thine being possessive, Thou being in the uh, objective case, I know not what thou sayest. So the King James Bible, with its these and thous, which are not hard to understand, and the, the singular and possessive comes out clearer in the King James Bible than it does in the modern versions that just, for instance, uses the word the, the, the word you, which could be singular, singular or it could be plural. So the King James Bible, in its these and thous, is much more accurate because you know the number of people that's being spoken to. Well, for all these reasons, it just makes good sense to have a King James Bible. Bible-believing churches just keeping the old King James Bible as their standard text. That way, if we memorize scripture in our Sunday school classes, it wouldn't matter which class you're in, and you memorize a verse, it's going to sound the same no matter who quotes it. We're all going to be together. That's not the best reason, but it's a good reason. The best reason, I think, is that the King James came from the Antioch Byzantine manuscripts, which were pure and used by the men of God who were winning souls and planting churches and discipling people, instead of 
down in Alexandria, Egypt, picture of the world, where the heresies abounded. And so let's stick with the old King James Bible and the movement in our world today to get us to abandon it because simpler, read, simpler reading in the modern versions is just not a very good argument. I'd rather have the real words of God, even if it's, hard, even if it's harder to understand. We don't... And, and sometimes people say, well, what if we get a new, what if we get a new Textus Receptus Bible based on the Textus Receptus on these manuscripts? Wouldn't that be a good thing? We could, well, I don't think it's a good thing to leave out the these and thous. I don't think it's a good thing to leave out the yees. I think it's a good thing. I think the King James Bible is more accurate and, and a new one's not really, you know what we do need? We need a commitment to use a dictionary when we don't understand. By the way, some of the new versions have got some big old words you've got to look up in a dictionary anyway. And so if you're going to look up words in a dictionary, you might as well do it for the King James. And we need to quit dumbing down America so people can read a little bit better. I just saw on the news a couple of days ago how, how our school systems are letting the kids down by not teaching them how to read and they're even graduating some from the 12th grade many of them from the 12th grade that can't read a sentence not a single sentence and they're graduating well no wonder people can't read the king james bible and they couldn't read the niv or anything else either so getting something easier to read is not the answer we just need to get committed to study, I'll end with this verse, 2 Timothy 2.15, you know it well. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study is work. It's not easy. I mean, you got to chase down references, go from scripture to scripture, comparing scripture with scripture. You may have to pull out a dictionary. You may have to read some other books to kind of get a clearer understanding of some things, but it's worth it to know that we're getting God's purest form of his word instead of taking something that's easier to read that's not pure. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and thank you for the word of God. And we thank you that it is a, a lamp unto our feet, Lord. It's a light for our path. Lord, we don't want that light to be dimmed. We want it to be shining brightly. Help us to be able to give a reason for the hope that lies within us to others when they might ask about why we use the old-fashioned uh, old King James Bible. Lord, we just believe it's the right one for the English-speaking people, and we just pray that you'd bless us. Lord, help us to be committed to it, not willing to change for the sake of somebody else's demands or somebody else's convenience. We pray that you'd bless us tonight.